Welcome to Your Teen with Sue and Steph. I'm Sue. And I'm Steph. And we're the co-founders and owners of Your Teen Media, the resource for parenting tweens and teens. And today we are talking with one of our truly favorite people, Dr. Tori Cordiano, about teen and tween dating, whatever that means and whatever that looks like these days. Sort of a perfect follow-up to our last episode with Justine Engfante on giving your kids the talk. But before we talk to Tori, we're going to talk about, like, today's a little bit interesting because both Steph and I feel a little bit like we don't have so much to offer here. Now, part of it is we try to bring our lives as parents of teenagers into what we talk about, depending on who the expert is and the subject is. But the problem with this topic is our own stories, we both agree, are kind of non-existent. And our teen stories feel a little bit like we might be compromising them to talk about it. So I guess what we're going to talk about instead is a few different things, but we're going to start with the basement because the basement is a really interesting conversation when it comes to our teens and exploring partners and sneaky behavior and just in general, how much space do we give them in the basement? You're up, Steph. Oh, yeah. Thanks. Thanks so much. Yeah, I feel like when they would give the like, oh, we'll be in the basement, it was like they thought they were being transported to another like another world or another planet as if it wasn't connected to the house. And not only did they feel that way, but there was a big part of me that felt like, oh, good. Now I don't have to like parent anymore. They're in the basement air quotes. And then I never knew, like, do you go down to the basement? Do you not go down? Is that their way of saying, don't come down here. I'm doing something I shouldn't be doing. Or is it just their way to get some private private time? And I felt like no matter what I did, it was never the right thing. Not because they didn't, well, I'm sure they thought it was all wrong. So I'll just put that out there. But I meant like, I wouldn't, if I went down, I'm like, ugh, they're just trying to have some space. Why would I go down? And if I didn't go down, I'm like, oh my God, what kind of parent am I? Like, we're running this company about parenting and I don't even have the guts to go down in the basement. Like, I felt like I there was never a good answer about the basement. So Dan and I would stand there and we'd say, and, and our, our intuition was not to go down. Like, our gut was, true or not, we trusted our kids. Were things happening in the basement that we didn't want to happen there? We didn't know. And it just felt like they have the right to some space But that was really butting up against all of this sage advice about, you know, being kind of on top of your kids' risky behavior and kind of letting them know you're there and looking. And so we had this, we both were on the same page, like, we don't want to go down. And then we'd kind of go like, yeah, but we should, just the same as you were saying. And inevitably, and we have five kids, this happened a lot, inevitably, we just kind of did that that emoji shrug of like, you know, kind of like, well, we don't really know and walked away. And we honestly never, ever went down. And I don't know if we actually put this in the podcast or we talked about it afterwards, but I have a different feeling about the basement than I used to have, which is that I don't think I ever want to barge in on my kids. Like, I don't want to be a parent who's looking to catch them. I want to be a parent who is warning them that they, is there, should we be worried about catching you? And being more like, hey guys, just checking up. I'm going to, might be coming down in like 10 minutes to, you know, if your laundry's in the basement or whatever, I'm just giving you a heads up. I'm coming down in 10 minutes. And just like 
a respectful way that maybe they are doing something I won't like, but maybe I don't have to walk in on them doing it. I don't know. How do you feel about that stuff? Yeah, no, I agree with that. I I don't, that feels a little bit like maybe how we were raised. It it doesn't, I would say how we've parented otherwise. It It feels underhanded. It doesn't, it doesn't feel like genuine. That's what I would say, or authentic. It feels like, it's just, it's not how, it doesn't go hand in hand with like the rest of the stuff we do. I agree with you. I, I don't, I don't, I don't like that setup. Like it feels really yucky to me. To me, it, it ties into the conversations we have about teens and lying, which, um, you know, it's always like, you're going to catch your kid lying and then, then you're going to be able to like ground them or they'll never get the car again or whatever it is. In my house, it was a little bit about the graduated driver's license where they weren't supposed to drive anybody but their sibling. And, you know, sometimes a story would come out quickly, like, oh, well, when John and I were whatever, and I'd be like, how could you and John be together? I don't understand. And they'd be like, oh, oh. So sometimes that stuff would come out. But the idea of catching our kids in a lie on purpose, like setting them up to catch them, we've heard from a lot of experts who say that that's just not the kinder, gentler parenting we, we do today. Maybe not when we were kids, but today it, it's like you don't have to catch them. And so to me, the basement maybe is it just an extension of that conversation. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I think I also have feelings about just privacy in general. Like I think everyone gets to define, now it's, you know, gets a little dicey when you're the parent, right? But I do feel like everyone has a right to some privacy. How much privacy, maybe that's where parenting comes in and where how you have to figure it out. But I feel like I have lots of private thoughts and private time. And, and I don't want someone trying to catch me or trying to tell me that I don't have a right to that. And I don't know, maybe, maybe for me, it brushes up next to like a respect thing and respecting their individuality. I feel like that's where it like kind of gets a little murky for me that I want them to have that. I want them to have like their time, their space. And, and believe me, it's not because I like, of course I'm curious, like, well, what are they doing? Who are they talking to? Of course. Right. I mean, that's part of being a parent, but, but I also think part of it is allowing the space for that and letting them decide that. Well, looking forward to our interview, I would say that I didn't know any of that information. So I don't think I, it didn't come up a lot that I, I needed to have it, but I always wondered, like, if I had needed it, where would I have gotten the advice? Like, what is it about teen dating that we should know? And it feels like somehow we're supposed to be, like the day the kid is born, we're supposed to have the answers to all of these scenarios that are con- gonna come up in our lives. And dating is a funny one. First of all, I don't even know if kids date anymore. I know that like, it seems, there, it seems to be reported that kids aren't dating nearly like they used to. And they're, by the way, not hooking up as much either. There's like, at least according to someone's research. So what does it mean to have like this information from Tori in your back pocket, even before you need it? Like, like everything else, we always benefit from that, thinking about it, right? Like just thinking about some of the things that Tori shares with us and how would we want to handle it? Okay, well, you know, the only story that I'm going to share today, because it, it, it is a funny one, we were curious about, with Tori, we talked a little bit about like meeting that partner, 
Like, you know, do you have a right to say, I want to meet that partner? I mean, so much of life is happening for our kids online or at school, and it doesn't really ever have to come home. In fact, you could hear about a relationship that someone else sees on a social media platform, like, oh, I see your kids going out with somebody or their fake Instagram account, right? Like, and you don't even know, which really kind of feels bad as a parent. But do you have a right to know, to meet the person that your kid is in some way having a relationship with? And, you know, we had a a situation in our house where the person didn't want to meet us. It was like on for quite a bit of time. And we just kept saying, we'd really like to meet that other person. And the response was, that person doesn't want to. And I don't know, like, can you force it? Well, we demand that you introduce, you know? It's so weird. I mean, so much. I I think the dating thing, and also it's so different than like when we were kids, like you were saying, like, you know, I think it's more like they're going in groups or they're... um, they're talking to this one, but that's not dating. They're just trying to get to know that person. And so I think like it's, I'm not even sure. I'm not even sure they know it all the time. And we're trying to figure out like where they are in that relationship. You know, it's, you know, I, I, I'm having a flashback to my kid coming home and relaying a story about friends of his. He's like, yeah, so-and-so and so-and-so broke up. He's like, I didn't even know they were dating. And I wanted to say, did they know they were dating? <laughs> well, I think this conversation between you and me right now is about two mothers who have no idea what's going on with teenagers today. I mean, we, we know everything that's going on that people report about, but this is not an area that gets openly reported about. And so if our kids, like, I am so grateful my kids aren't going to be listening to this the eye rolling that would go on, like, who do these two women think they are? They have, they, they're not even using the right language. They're saying this word dating. What does that even mean? I would say, and Tori, so, um, yeah, she's just, she, she's so good. And she's so um, just spot on with her advice. And I think that like everything, it, there's so many pieces you can take that it can apply to other, other parts of your life and other relationships. Did you have a big takeaway? I would say, I think there were a few things. One was that whole thing about not becoming friends with the, your kid and their kid are dating or whatever they're doing. And you, because relationships are changing so quickly, like you want it to be easy for your kid to leave that relationship if they need to. And it's not going to be easy if they know that the parents are really chummy. And I thought that was so funny. Like, of course, right? It, it seems so obvious when she said it. There's an episode in Madam Secretary where the boy is dating a girl and the parents bring him out there to break up with the girl. But the girl's parents invite the boy, the, the parents in to sit and, and have a drink together to be friends. And it's, yeah, and Stephanie's making that totally squirmy face, which is exactly what it was and exactly what Tori was t- talks about, which is like, you're making it too hard for that kid. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, I did love that a lot. Yeah, no, that was such a, that was a really good one. Like that would, that would stop me in my tracks if I had a kid. Like if, if you listen to Tori and that is what's going, like you've got a kid in a relationship or whatever they're doing, dating, labeling it, not whatever. It it would be one of those where you'd be like, oh, (laughs) I got to rethink that. (laughs) Okay. Up next is our conversation with Dr. Tori Cordiano. 
We can't wait for you to join us. podcast fans want to get weird with us come check out the mad scientist podcast we are a weekly show that looks at the history philosophy and hard facts behind your biggest paranormal questions did the government really pay for a psychic spy program yes is it true that surgery got its start in grave robbing yes can a roller coaster really kill you Legally, we can't say so for sure, but sometimes, yes! Join myself, Chris Cogswell, and my co-host, Marie Mayhew, as we examine the science, philosophy, and history behind the strange and unusual. All to discover what's possible and plausible versus what's, well, just made up. Check us out wherever you find your favorite podcasts. The Mad Scientist Podcast. Dr. Tori Cordiano is a licensed clinical psychologist in the state of Ohio. She has extensive experience working with children, adolescents, young adults, and families. Dr. Cordiano is also the director of research for Laurel School Center for Research on Girls and a consulting psychologist for Laurel School in Shaker Heights. Thank you so much for being with us again, Tori. Okay, so Tori, I have this question for you. My kid went on a date and we didn't know the guy. The guy texts that he's there and my kid leaves. And my husband and I look at each other and we say, were we supposed to say something? Were we supposed to meet him? So I think like we've heard from parents that this is an area where we don't really talk about it a whole lot. What is our role when it comes to our kids having relationships? How do we do it? So I I will start by saying, I think this is a place where there are lots and lots of ways to get it right. And just because it's gone one way in the past doesn't mean that it has to continue to go that way. So for example, for this particular family, if that felt like, huh, that was strange, it felt like something was missing, now she's gone and we don't really even know who she's with, it's enough to notice that and make a decision that that actually doesn't, that's not actually how we want it to go the next time around. So to make a conscious choice to do it differently. And there's lots of different ways to get this right. Again, like you could have a conversation with your teenager in advance of we're good with you going out. We at least want to, you know, wave at the person that you're going with so we can put a face to a name or you, you know, you can decide after the fact, Hey, next time that, that felt a little strange to us. We just want to, you know, kind of peek at who you're going with. Or to open it up to your teenager and say, you know, here's our impression. We, we felt a little strange after you left that we didn't even know who you were with necessarily. What did you think about that? What would you like to have happen next time? I think this also is very um, age and maturity dependent. This is a much different conversation if we are talking about, you said driving, so I'm assuming it's, you know, 16-year-old, but, you know, your your 15-year-old getting in the car with a 16-year-old, or if you're talking about your almost 18-year-old, right? And, it, and it's not just the age, not just the number, but the maturity level as well. So I think there's a lot of factors that make it hard to give a straight, this is how you would always do it response, but these are things to be considering. How about as far as, let's stay along this line of dating and talking to our kids, should we be addressing relationships without assuming our kids are heterosexual? 
I never make that assumption. Um, and I, I think it's a helpful place. And I, I think many parents automatically do make that assumption. And if you are among them, it, it may be worth sort of checking in with yourself about, does it make sense to keep making this assumption? I think for a long time, people just generally assumed that. I am, am pretty intentional in, in not assuming teenagers or, or you know people that I come into contact with are heterosexual. And I, I think it helps to just put that language out there. Um, you know, if you if you happen to have a teenager who's willing to discuss these sorts of things with you and you're talking about, you know, or they might say, oh, so-and-so has a crush on so-and-so, you know, you might say anyone you have a crush on and they might, you know, probably roll their eyes and um, tell you to please stop talking. But if they entertain one more sentence, you can say, you know, anybody that you like and you can keep it really neutral. You, you don't have to say any girls that you've got your eye on, you know, you can sort of just keep that language intentionally neutral which communicates to them not only for themselves, but for their perception of how you might experience their friends, their their people that they care about, that you could come into it with an open mind. You know, there's a lot of discussion about families having rules and setting rules and what, what does your family believe in? Is it important around dating for, let's say, us to know before the dating starts and say, what are our family rules, and then articulate that to our kids? Well, I think it's great if parents can get it together in advance of their kids actually dating to have that conversation. I think most parents do not, right? I think the reality of it is like, oh, now we're in this space and we haven't really thought all of this through, which is absolutely fine, right? I think we often make our best decisions when we have actual real life material to work with. So if we've had an experience of our child starting to date, teenager starting to date, and then we can use that to think about, okay, how do we actually want this to look going forward? What's important to us? What are our values? And then start to flesh it out from there. I think it's important if you're a parent to sort of start to think about what your own values and expectations are around this for your teenager. If you're parenting with a partner to have that conversation with your partner so that you're on the same page and then to bring it to your teenager of here's where we are. Here's what we're thinking. What are your thoughts? Tell us where you are um, and fully, fully, fully expect that your teenager is going to balk at this conversation. Well, you know, most self-respecting teenagers want nothing to do with a conversation about their dating life with their parents, especially when it comes to any sort of limitations that they're going to put around it. So it may be those little check-in conversations here and there, and you're kind of planting the seeds and returning to them. And you can say something like, I know this is awkward. Believe me, it's awkward for us too. We're going to have the conversation anyways. We're going to push through. We're going to make it short just to kind of get in front of that and acknowledge that it can be a little tricky. Victoria is such a beautiful segue (laughs) into our next question, which is, you know, families often come up with rules like you're not dating till you're 16 and you're not having sex and, you know, I don't want you to have sex till you're in college. Do our middle school students and high school students even hear these things when we say them? I think teenagers, if if a rule is being laid out, they want to know the why behind it and they want to understand the why behind it, which is fair and actually something that we want to encourage in our young people, right? We want them to be questioning authority in healthy ways. And that involves actually making sure, okay, do I understand why this rule is in place? Why? And especially if it's a rule that limits my freedoms in some way, even if actually they have no one that they're interested in having sex with before college, right? They still may want to know the why of like, where is this rule coming from? College feels arbitrary or 16 feels arbitrary. So I think be prepared to 
talk that through and explain your reasoning. And often what we find is that it's less tied to a number or a, like you are 18 or you are 16 or whatever. And it's more tied to expectations of maturity and decision-making. And so it may actually make more sense to link it back to those sorts of things, especially if you have multiple children and you may um, feel that, you know, it turns out all our kids are not at the exact same level of maturity when they turn 16. So we may be a little bit different in our approaches here. If you're, if you're tying it to a specific number, it makes it harder to do that. If you're tying it to expectations of maturity and responsibility, then you can get into it a little bit more with some concrete examples. Okay. How enmeshed do we get into this? Like my kid has a relationship with another kid. Do I call that parent if they're in middle school? Like, is this parentally sanctioned and do we need to be on the same page? And if they're in high school, do I owe it to the other parent to say something like we're going out of town? Like, do we take it up to that level of parents talking about the relationship or is it something that we let our kids navigate? The piece of it in terms of how into it we get as parents It's helpful to recognize that often for middle schoolers, when they're talking about being with somebody or that they're dating somebody, that often doesn't even go beyond we are talking or maybe even not talking that much to each other at school, right? Or we're, you know, in this group with other friends doing things as a group together. So uh, it's helpful to understand what that means for them when they say that. So if your teenager is saying, oh, I'm with so-and-so or I'm dating so-and-so, it's fair to say, oh, so what does that mean? Because I, you know, I, when you say dating, tell me more. And again, you'll get the eye roll, you'll get the pushback, but it's helpful to just kind of define the terms. If they're going to a place, the two of them together, you know, it, it may involve a little bit more communication of like, okay, and, and her mom knows that you guys are going to be going to the movies together and, you know, just sort of fleshing that piece of it out. Again, it's knowing your teenager. And it's not uncommon for parents of two teenagers who are dating to become quite friendly, to be you know, somewhat close to each other. The thing I will um, sort, of, sort of caution against here is we always want it to be easy for our teenagers to end these relationships. For whatever reason, <laughs> whenever they need to or want to, we want it to be easy for them to walk away in ways that are fair and kind to the partner. But we do certainly never want our own relationship as parents with their partner's parents to be something that prohibits them from leaving that relationship when the relationship has run its course or no longer feels healthy or happy. We don't want that to be something that's keeping them in a place where they don't need to be. What about expectations of meeting the partner? You know, if they're middle school, high school, does that differ? Yeah, I think it does. I think the younger the kid, probably the, the more expectation that I want to know who you're spending time with in the same way that you probably know more about your child's friends when they are that age, especially if they're going to be going off places on their own. I don't think we necessarily view this, especially when they're a little bit younger, much differently than, oh, you're going to be, you know, going to the mall with, you know, these couple of friends. Who are they? And like, okay, I've met them, but I haven't met this one. So actually, you know, I'll drive you and I, I want to see who this is before I drop you off. Like that's a totally reasonable expectation with a middle schooler. And the same can be said of someone that they are, you know, linked with romantically. As they get a little bit older, I think a lot of it depends on your level of trust with your teenager and, and the amount of supervision that's going to be in the situation. So if there's not a whole lot of supervision in the situation, you may feel more comfortable as a parent knowing a little bit about this person. If it's clear that it's becoming a more serious relationship, that they are truly dating and spending time together and going places, just the two of them, 
that may be a point where you say, you know what, we, we really do want to get to know this person or, or see who you're with and, and, you know, just get to know them a little bit. And I think it's helpful to come at it, not just from an oversight perspective or a supervision perspective, but from a, if you care about this person, we want to know this person a little bit too. It's also just a way of communicating to your teenager, this person's important to you. You are important to us. We don't have to have a heavy hand in being involved in this, but we do want to know who it is and and be able to get to know that person a little bit. I think this one is a question that I would never have thought about when my kids were younger, which is who's paying? And I've read stuff recently about how like there can be some types of abuse that go on in there where like a kid is paying one kid is paying for everything and and there's a little bit of a financial power dynamic going on there. So is there something we should be talking to our kids about in terms of, you know, there are no, the defined roles aren't what they used to be and it doesn't have to go down that you're always paying, something like that. Yeah. Again, I think this is a fair conversation to have in advance. It may actually be that it's not something that you think of or that comes up until after the fact. And in many situations, especially when we talk about younger kids, remember these are not sort of one-on-one traditional dates where they're you know, at a restaurant or at the movies or something where one person would be paying for, for two parts of an experience. But if they're getting to that point, or if they've come home from something like that, it's fair to say like, you know, tell me about, did you take enough money? And did you pay? Or did, did the other person pay? What did you think about that? What do you think they thought about that? Uh, you know, to just sort of get them thinking about it. There's not necessarily a right or a wrong answer to this. There are, you know, I think it is very fair to say that many younger adults and teenagers approach this much more diplomatically these days of, you know, we'll take turns paying or I'll pay for myself, you pay for yourself. And it's much less drawn around gender lines than it was, I think, for for many of us when we were dating. That's fair and probably healthy in a lot of ways. And it may not be something, like you said, Sue, something that you necessarily would have thought about. I think it's something that maybe a lot of parents would would not have thought about specifically, but it gets back to that idea of what makes for a healthy relationship. In any kind of power differential or anything that feels manipulative or something that's holding someone in a place where they don't want to be or creating power over a person is not the sign of a healthy relationship. That is not to say that if your teenager's boyfriend is paying for her dinner, that that is a power differential that he's using manipulatively. But it may be something to think about, like, where, how does this feel to you? Does it feel even? Does it feel like, you know, one person's calling all the shots or deciding things because they are having the financial power in the relationship? So I was thinking about how I often felt like there were a lot of plans happening for people who didn't drive or have a way of getting somewhere. So if you've got two kids, you know, your kid and another kid or their partner, you know, making all these plans, you know, and the whole driving thing, neither one of them is driving. How do they see each other or... Do you facilitate that or like talk about that a little bit? What does that look like? Well, often I think the 14-year-olds don't even think about it, right? They just assume like, hey, we're going to get together and the grownups will figure out how we're going to get there, right? So just even from an executive functioning standpoint, it's helpful to get them thinking about like, oh, so I heard you made plans with so-and-so. What's your plan on how you're going to get there, right? And they may say like, oh, I I thought you were going to drive me. And then, you know, you can say like, oh, actually, let me see. Yep. Turns out I can or well, I'm not going to be able to, do you think, you know, they can pick you up or what, how would you like to handle this? So it's the start of a conversation. I think for younger kids, the, the piece around needing to be driven to be with the person can actually be kind of helpful because that thing happens when you're the chauffeur in the front seat, sitting very quietly, 
And it's as if there's like a divider, right? That they sort of lose sight of the fact that there's a parent driving them in the front seat and you're privy to a little bit of what's going on, which is not a bad thing when your kid is 14 or 15 years old. When they need you less to be part of the driving, you lose that window, which is developmentally often appropriate and healthy. But when they're younger, if you can stand being the chauffeur, it actually is sort of a nice peek into, does this all seem like it's it's moving in a direction that feels healthy and safe and enjoyable for our kids? All right, I'm going to put air quotes on this. Stephanie and I actually learned this together with a young woman who was in college that she was talking to somebody in air quotes. And we were like, what does that mean? And so what does it mean today? Does it mean different things to different people? And Really, it sounds like kids aren't dating, really, that they're talking now, like it's a new world. Yes. So I think talking, it can mean so many different things. It could really just mean talking, right? Or like, I'm kind of interested in her and we're not even really talking yet, especially for younger kids. I think, you know, maybe 15 years ago, people would talk about hooking up and I'm going to use air quotes there. (laughs) And that was sort of the term that could mean anything from we held hands to we were having sex, right? And, and anything in between. So it, it is a sort of catch-all term. And I think the bar could be even lower in terms of like, we're actually just getting to know each other and we're sort of feeling this out. I do have some teenagers, I'm, I'm thinking about, you know, my experience with teenagers that I work with who do talk about dating and they mean one person in particular, they will say my boyfriend, my girlfriend, but I don't think that's as common as it was a generation ago that it's, it's so sort of cleanly partnered up. It can be more of a, we're hanging out in a group sort of experience. And I think as long as both people in that relationship are on the same page in, in what the terms of the relationship are, and there's an honesty and a clarity there, then that's okay. It it can be a little bit looser as long as both people are sort of acknowledging what the terms are. Those early relationships can have a big impact on teenage friendships. As the parents, are we supposed to respond if that happens? Is it something we should be talking about in, in advance? You know, already, it's kind of like what you said about being able to get her out of a relationship, but, you know, the parents, not like, because things do end. So... Mm-hmm. Help us. (laughs) Yes. So I think when you mentioned the teenage friendship piece of it, where my mind went is that often if, if a teenager starts dating someone, her friends may notice she's less present with the friend group. She's less involved with the friends. And some of that is somewhat natural, right? Like you get excited about something new. And so your attention goes there for a bit. But if you as a parent are noticing, wow, you're never hanging out with your friends anymore. And all your time is spent with this other person. We want to pay attention to that for a couple of reasons. The most benign reason is that it could compromise the friendships, right? Like these are good friends. They seem like they were, you know, important people to you. I see you with them less and less. What does that mean for the friendship? The other piece of it that is we want to be a little bit more cautious about because it can be a little bit more dangerous is if a teenager is no longer with her friends, we want to make sure that that is something that is um, not because of a, a function of the relationship that there's not a possessiveness with the person that she's now dating that is keeping her from being with her friends. And that goes beyond the stakes of the friendship and to the place of, is this actually a healthy relationship for you to be in if you're no longer spending time with people who were important to you? Stephanie, I think what you may have been asking about was if the relationship fizzles out and they're part of the same friend group, 
what happens then, which is its own concern and happens, right? Especially I think, you know, if we think about younger kids, they often sort of are in a group and, and sort of are dating um, within like, we're all going to this thing together or we're all in the same friend group. And it can create some, some bumpiness and some awkwardness. And some of that is just something that teenagers need to navigate and, and figure out. And you can be a sounding board for it if they are willing to let you be a sounding board. So I, I often wonder when I hear like, oh, he was such a jerk, the way he broke up with me. And, and I didn't care that he broke up with me, but the way he did it. And I, and I often have this feeling like there's no way that you're not getting hurt. Like there's nothing about the breakup that could have made it good for you. Is it possible that you, it just hurts to be broken up with and that the way someone does it is kind of like the it's the way we protect ourselves from like it being that I'm so broken because of it. But instead, if they just would have done it differently. Mm, yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head. It stings, right? Whether actually you were already one foot out of the relationship or you were fully committed to it, whether you saw it coming or didn't, whether it was text or phone or face to face or through a friend or whatever, it stings. And it's really hard, especially early on in one's romantic life. It's rejection, right? And it feels like rejection. And in any way, shape, or form, rejection does not feel good. We as adults recognize that that doesn't feel good. And when you are 15, um, it can hurt even more because it feels so personal and, and you're so new to it in terms of romantic relationships. So as a parent, you can have that exact thought that you articulated, Sue, which is, I don't actually know that this would have felt differently if it had been done in the most and in the kindest, most civil way, it still is going to hurt. You can have that thought. I, I don't know that actually articulating that for your teenager does much. And, and your role as a parent is when they're saying he's such a jerk and I can't believe he did that. And, you know, I, I should have known what a jerk he was. You can sit there and, and, and empathize with, oh, I feel so bad. And oh, it, it really stings. And I'm so sorry you're going through this. And that really, really stinks. And do you want to talk about it? Do you want to vent? Do you want me to help you get your mind off of it? You can just be that sort of place where they can vent about it and hope that your own teenager may be learning how to break up or end a relationship in a way that is as kind as possible, which is actually the, the roots of that are just in our, our own interactions, right? With, with friends, with other people that they have contact with. If we're mindful of how other people are feeling, in a situation that carries over to dating life, right? So if they're already thinking about how did it impact my friend when I sent that text or I didn't respond to her because I was mad at her, you know, and, and we're helping them think about like, oh, I wonder how that felt for her when, you know, she apologized and you didn't respond. You're starting to help them think about that in a way that will translate to how they break up with somebody in a way that's as kind and, and fair as possible. Okay, so let's talk about that, <laughs> exactly how they break up. I love Sex in the City. I'm still mad at Burger for breaking up with Carrie on a post-it note, okay? <laughs> that was pretty bad. So it was really bad. Um, so translating that to today, and, you know, I know you don't break up via text, right? But how do they do it? How do we guide them? What what does that, it, does it have to be in person? Mm. So I, I want to first say the premise that we will get the opportunity to guide our kids through their breakup I think it's it's probably not going to happen all that often, right? They may share with you, you know, they very may well share with you. I think I'm done with this. I want to break up with her. And if you can see a little opening, you might say, oh, it's, you know, it's good to know how you feel. How do you think you'll go about it? Right. And just sort of see where they go with it. And if they say something like, oh, I'm just going to have my friend tell her it's fine. You know, maybe there's a place in there to say like, oof, I wonder how that would feel if, if, you know, she's on the receiving end of that. 
I think the chances of them <laughs> letting you guide them in that is is pretty slim. I will say, I think it can be, especially, um, you know, I was going to say, especially with younger kids, but I don't necessarily think this is always with younger kids. It can happen in ways that are not all that well thought out and can really, really seem like, man, what were you thinking, kiddo? Like, I'm going to have my friend do it, or I'm just going to send her a text, or I'm going to, you know, oh, just not say anything and he'll get the message, right? So that happens. And I think it's good to remember that our kids are often functioning from a perspective of, I just want this to be over and I want to keep it as small as possible. And I don't want to make it difficult for me. And it feels like maybe it'd be difficult for that person too. And so there are these, sometimes these ways of doing it that on the surface look really, really rotten. And if you get the chance to think with your teenager about, oof, I wonder how that felt for her to get that text or for him to hear it through your friend. You know, you can take that chance. You may not get that chance. What if I'm watching a relationship that feels unhealthy to me? Is it like, do I actually inflame it by saying you can't see them anymore? This is not healthy. And does it become like underground and sneaky? And, but I don't want it to go on. It doesn't feel good. So I think having a direct conversation with your teenager about what you're seeing is the place to start, right? That you can come from a place of, um, you know, we were, we know that dating is going to be a part of your life. We fully expect that. We know we may not like everybody that you date and that's okay. We need to say that we're seeing some things here that are concerning to us and to be direct about what that is. I mean, we think about the signs of an unhealthy relationship and they are things like, keeping someone from, um, you know, cutting someone off or isolating them from their family or their friends, having a level of possessiveness or control over them, them feeling like the, the stakes aren't, um, or, or the, the footing isn't equal in the relationship, that they can't, you know, your child can't speak up if something doesn't feel right, that they can't leave the relationship, that there is that power differential. And, you know, you can say like, this is what we're seeing tell us what you're experiencing here. And this is not going to be a comfortable conversation, but if it's escalating to a place where you're worried about your child's safety, it does make sense to put those safeguards in place. And that may go as far as saying, we are not okay with you going, um, you know, being alone with this person or dating this person. And really, I think that is reserved for situations where you are, are pretty concerned about safety. As you said, Sue, teenagers can easily kind of go underground here. They can find a way to see each other. So if you are exerting this kind of control every time you don't like someone or, you know, it's not who you thought they would be with, or they're, you know, this kid doesn't make great eye contact when he comes to the door, it's going to be hard to maintain that. But if, if you're seeing signs that it really is something that could be a dangerous relationship, you do want to take those steps to keep your teenager safe and to hopefully help them think through, you know, what, what is this feeling like in this relationship? It's hard for teenagers if they're newer to um, dating to, to sort of know what those signs are all the time. All right, Tori, we're going to finish with the question we ask all of our guests. What is the biggest myth about raising teenagers? Oh, ooh, there's so many. Since we are talking about dating, I think one of the biggest myths and one of the biggest missteps we can take as parents is to dismiss their relationships as just like, oh, this is just young love. It doesn't mean anything, right? Because teenagers are fully in their feelings, right? So if they have strong feelings for someone that they like, someone that they're talking to, someone that they're actually dating, those feelings are very, very real for them. And they, they, their relationship that they are experiencing feels as valid to them as any relationship for anybody, no matter the age. So taking them seriously when they are having these feelings and not being dismissive 
of how they're feeling um, in terms of their romantic life, I think is a helpful place for parents to be and often something that we get wrong about teenagers. Dr. Tori Corigliano, it's such a thrill to have you back. We missed you and everything you said is so comforting and gives us such guidance in a space that's really murky. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. It's always so great to talk to the two of you. Thanks for joining us for the Your Teen Podcast. If you have any topics that you want us to talk about, let us know on our Facebook page or email editor at yourteenmag.com. If you're someone who reads an article and thinks of that one friend who has to read it too, think of our podcast the same way. Please share with that friend who's going to say, oh my God, I can't believe I didn't know about Your Teen with Sue and Steph. And do us a favor and review and rate the show on the podcast platform of your choice. You can find more from us at yourteenmag.com, at evergreenpodcast.com, or anywhere you listen to podcasts. Your Team with Sue and Steph is a production of Evergreen Podcasts. Special thanks to executive producer Michael D'Aloya, plus producer Hannah Leach, and audio engineer Eric Coltnow. We'll see you next time. Hi there, I'm Heather Drago. And I'm Sarah Saunders. We host the podcast, That's a Hard No, about saying no and setting boundaries. So you can become that true and empowered you that this world needs. Saying no isn't just okay. It's the key to living an authentic, fulfilling life. I'm a licensed professional clinical counselor. So while this podcast is in no way a replacement for one-on-one therapy, I suppose I know what I'm talking about. I'd say so. We talk about learning to say no and set healthy boundaries and how it impacts mental health, physical health, relationships, parenthood, and more. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and visit our website, hardnopodcast.com. We're here to help you find your no and say it unapologetically. That's a hard no.